Welcome back to Ecomotion Conversations. Ecomotion's mission is the cost-effective greening of cities, corporations, and campuses. This podcast series digs for key insights from leading green thinkers, their works, their passions, lessons learned, and what just what keeps your engines charged. Today I'm joined by Mike Peavy and Diane Wittenberg to talk about their new book, California Goes Green. Mike, former CPUC president, founder of New Energy Ventures, president of Southern California Edison, Berkeley in the 1960s. In the book's foreword, Joe Kennedy describes you as a young Edison executive with long hair and a convertible. It's hard for me to imagine that. I've only known you as the august president of the California Public Utilities Commission. Diane Wittenberg was a Southern California Edison official for many years, beginning in corporate communications, then heading up Edison EV, an unregulated subsidiary developed to provide charging in the California EV market. She then went on to found the Climate Registry, which developed greenhouse gas accounting and inventory standards, and continues to do so. She currently chairs Governor Brown's State Parks and Recreation Commission. Today is a pleasure to talk to Mike and Diane about their new book, California Goes Green. I can attest it is a remarkable and rich story. As I said to you this morning, Diane, I really like the book. Uh, it explains so much to me about how California has achieved what it has uh, in this mastery uh, in the environmental area. Obviously, there's lots more to do, but Michael and Diane, welcome. Um, Diane, I know a little bit about Mike's early years, but, but what about you? Talk a little bit about your, your, your early days. I know you grew up in Chicago, and, and then you came to California. Talk a little bit about your progression. I came to California to go to Berkeley, and then uh, went back to the Midwest and was recruited out uh, to join Southern California Edison in corporate communications. Uh, from there, I got an interest in electric vehicles and moved to heading up a new electric vehicle division because the utility knew that electricity was going to be key to that. And then when I left Edison, formed up the California Climate Action Registry, which evolved to the Climate Registry, which was all the states and Mexican states and uh, all, the, all of the Canadian uh, provinces to try to, as you said, set the standards for how do you inventory greenhouse gases, what you have to do before you can reduce them. Mm -hmm. And you must be pretty pleased with the, uh, the rise of EVs today. Right, because uh, in the early 90s was the EV1 and a few other electric vehicles, and then that foundered. So this time, I think the wave is actually going to break on the shore, and yeah. electric vehicles will be very, very strongly commercialized. Yeah, even I am driving an EV now. Congratulations. And uh, I, Yes, and, and only because it's solar power did I say <laughs> that, I would, <laughs> that I would drive one. So we have enough power in our house now to to power the entire house and the EV, so. And, and then you two met at Southern California Edison, and as I understand it, have been great friends for, what are, you, what are we thinking now, 40, 50 years? Well, not quite that long. 60, <laughs> 70 years. <laughs> but when we both retired, Mike said, uh, we were present during some very important times in California environmental history. Let's sort of try to record it, capture it while we can, make it a serious book with, uh, footnotes and documentation so that people understand how we got from 
oh, this is smog, to being really leaders globally in greenhouse gas emission policy. Right. And was it about a year of writing the book? Was it... it was about two years of writing the book. Two years? Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's, it's fantastic. And, and then how did you divide the duties? I can kind of tell when you're writing, and when you're writing, I think. <laughs> you can. But you were, you were more on the energy efficiency or renewable side, and you were more on the, on the air Air um, and electric vehicle side. Air yeah. and electric vehicle side. So it was pretty easy. We weren't quite sure how we were going to do it, and we sat in front of a whiteboard one day and, and decided what the chapter flow should be, and then it turned out that we kind of both were expert on every other chapter. And then we, you know, once we wrote those chapters initially, we combed each other's to try to make it so that nobody like you, Ted, could know that one person had written one chapter and another the other. But Mike was usually much more in-depth on energy policy things right. because because of his PUC experience. Yeah, yeah. And, and really, the, the road to leadership seems to have begun in California with the, the crisis of smog. And um, we talked about this, um, this, this soup of smoke and fog. I never knew that that was the derivation of the word of smog. But it seems that that was that the, the smog issue the, um, led to a bipartisan action. And is, that, is that right? Is that, is that really the, kick, the, the launching point here? I think that's correct. I, I think that the, the awareness and, and the environmental consciousness of California uh, uh, was first really stirred by the awareness of uh, and the very debilitating effect of smog, particularly here in Southern California all over the state, but particularly here in Southern California, where the, the, the physical configuration of the land and the bold nature of the Los Angeles Basin and all has produced uh, produced uh, much, more, much more smoggy conditions uh, than the San Francisco Bay Area, for example. And uh, the, the awareness of that, I mean, it's, it's really kind of funny. We put it, point out in the book that the first uh, uh, real uh, public awareness in the Los Angeles Times was reported story of a, of a Japanese at the World War II Japanese chemical attack on California uh, and its a- after effects was smog when in fact that wasn't the case at all there was no Japanese attack and people just didn't know where it came from they, that's correct and then the the work um, by uh, uh, Ari Hagen Schmidt a, 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 a Dutchman uh, from the Netherlands who was at Caltech uh, in Pasadena, he really discovered uh, the causes of smog, which was... He filtered big, large volumes of air. Oh, yes, yes, he did. Literally, sucked it in and tried to figure out where it came from. And he he was the the, the discoverer of smog from internal combustion engines, and then that led to the the first efforts here in Southern California to try to contain and limit smog, and then that led to the creation of a a statewide agency uh, to do so that's now known as the California Air Resources Board. their name at that at the start, and uh, Ronald Reagan was the governor at the time. Uh, the the air board was created under uh, Pat Brown, the father of the uh, um, 
uh, current governor, Jerry Brown, uh, but its implementation came on, uh, when Reagan became governor, and, and Reagan appointed Schmidt uh, to head the California, what is now the California Air Resources Board. And uh, that was uh, a real awareness at the state level of, of smog, and it, it uh, uh, in the Bay Area and elsewhere, so the San Joaquin Valley as well as Los Angeles was a state, had become a statewide phenomenon and a challenge. And Schmidt headed that board for uh, several years until Reagan fired him because he was uh, viewed as too aggressive in his uh, uh, policies toward the automotive industry and all that. You know, uh, one of the great ironies of life is that Hagen uh, uh, Schmidt died of lung cancer. You know, that's really very tragic, but uh, ironies of living here in Southern California at this very terrible time. But that the environmental awareness really began o over smog. And then, it, and then we, there are several other things that happened in Southern California in particular that gave the environmental consciousness to the state. It already had it, but uh, it heightened it. And one of them was the, uh, the, in, in 1969, the, the Santa Barbara oil spill, which for a long time was the biggest oil spill in the history of the United States until we had the, uh, the oil spill in Alaska and then a few years ago uh, in the Gulf of Mexico. And that led to, uh, after a lot of permutations and all, a citizen effort that created the California Coastal Commission. But the, my point is that the environmental awareness started uh, about that uh, in Santa Barbara and in Southern California when the oil spill, uh, the slip uh, of the oil spill extended all the way from Santa Barbara to, to, to Tijuana and Mexico and beyond. And those are two seminal events that happened in Southern California that gave rise to uh, a, an environmental, a greater environmental awareness in this state perhaps than many other states. And, and the Santa Barbara oil spill, um, was the reaction also bipartisan to that, to that, that, that uh, we need to keep tightening up on offshore oil activities? Uh, Yes, to some extent. Not uh, as much as smog. It was no, as no as it's as not as much as smog. Everybody's it issue. was really a better example of the direct democracy that, that California is known for. And um, it was an initiative process that really reacted to the Santa Barbara uh, oil spill by creating the, uh, all the act, the California Coastal Act and the Coastal Commission. Mm -hmm. And... W one of the things uh, that Mike and I really discovered that but, we had anticipated—that is true. That's absolutely true. But the oil spill happened in '69. The, the coastal initiative was enacted by the voters of California Citizens Movement. Uh, in, in, in 1972, in the intervening years, there were repeated efforts in the legislature to create what is the equivalent of the California Coastal Commission, and they were led by mostly by Democrats, and they failed. And it was only after that frustration the citizenry felt that the environmental community leadership came together, along with other people, many other people, including many Republicans, and, and sponsored the California Coastal Initiative, which was a strongly opposed by utilities, oil companies, local governments who did thought they they would lose their prerogatives of zoning and so on and so forth. The coastal, but the Coastal Commission was approved by voters in, the, in 1972 in the fall. Mm -hmm. And so this movement of, of cleaning the air and then dealing with the oil spill, somehow it transcended to, to tackling automotive um, and, and incinerators, smog, smokestack emissions. 
But then it got to greenhouse gases. I mean, I know, I know I'm fast forwarding here. But, right, that's quite a fast forward. But it was quite yeah. a fast forward, but, but greenhouse gases completely out of sight, out of mind, uh, and yet we were still able to pass the most progressive law in, in the land, in the world. Well, it's partly too. because California knew enough from the past uh, environmental action to take the long view. So really, California had two things going for us. For it. One was the waiver uh, that it has from the federal government. If you recall, uh, California passed a Clean Air Act in the 60s, and then the federal government passed one a few years later. So they had to give California a nod, and they said, uh, okay, we're passing all the environmental uh, Clean Air Act rules for the nation, except if California wants to pass stricter ones, they can. They have a waiver. And uh, any state, any other state can either do what California does or what we prescribe for the feds. And uh, 14 states follow California's rules now, not just the federal rules, and California's are always stricter. So first we had the waiver, but second, as you say, green, greenhouse gas was not a criteria pollutant under the Clean Air Act. And Massachusetts and some of the other states um, sued the federal government and said greenhouse gases should be uh, under the Clean Air Act. And um, the court agreed, and then we were off and running with the ability, with our waiver, to regulate greenhouse gas emissions. Mm -hmm. And now it has to be pointed out that this was not, the, the federal government did not, it has to, can grant a waiver. It is not required that it grant a waiver. And we, we talk in the book about how uh, then-Governor Schwarzenegger uh, and his staff went to Washington, D.C. when George W. Bush was president and tried to get from EPA a waiver on greenhouse gases and were unsuccessful. The administrator, despite uh, having to deal with the, the, the Terminator, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, is a very, it's a very, I might add, a very strong environmentalist Schwarzenegger was, uh, and is. Uh, they refused. And it's only when Obama got elected in 08, when it, 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 and in the following year in 2009, that the, the waiver was granted by the federal government. So, yes. so politics does matter. And uh, while it's true that there's a lot of, there has been in California a good bit of bipartisanship, the uh, predominant interest in, in environment, I have to say, is, is in the Democrat, among, among Democratic voters and Democratic elected officials. Although the, the governor, this governor, the current one, right now, Jerry Brown, was able to get the extension of, uh, de of dealing with greenhouse gases to the legislature, took a two-thirds vote uh, just last year by la rounding up a, a whole series of Republicans uh, in the California State Assembly to vote for it. That was, uh, you know, maybe his recognition of his prowess as a politician, but it also was a uh, uh, reflection that those Republicans did go along with him, unlike what happens at the national level, where apparently nothing happens at all now. Yeah, yeah. That's positive. Well, I was struck, I was struck in the book by um, the key ingredients to California's success, and one of them, one of the key ingredients is these three strong regulatory bodies, the, the CPC, the California Energy Commission and CARB that you already mentioned, the California Air Resource Resources Board. Uh, and then we have great universities and research labs. And then we have the leaders, the likes of, I love all your profiles and leadership, uh, a lot of friends, Cavana and Nichols and Kennedy and Rosenfeld and Freeman, we were talking about, and Pavley. Uh, and so the question is, um, do we have such a unique 
blend of assets here that we are unique and this can't be replicated? Or you know, we talk about this, how, how can this be replicated in states throughout the nation? Well, that's why we tried to make this not just a California history, but the, the second part, a roadmap to climate leadership. And everyone has key individuals who, if they have the opportunity, will provide uh, another level of leadership, like some of these people we profiled. But also, if you have strong agencies, we really tried to make that point, who have a lot of technical expertise, who have separate budgets based on their own sets of fees and other uh, earned income, so they're not quite as subject to um, the funding vagaries of the general fund. But the shifts in the political Right, ways. because you get, uh, then you can get really career bureaucrats who aren't worried about being fired the next year. And then you push through your universities and all of a sudden you have the science that the policy is based on. Uh, and then people trust that. You tie everything back to public health, which is really important because, again, then the general public sees that they, uh, they need these environmental measures. And, and you have the training of the, uh, of the people in the universities and, and jobs for them in these three giant agencies that you talked about, which are thousands of people. So if uh, another state can kind of see how you kind of circle and build on, on each of these institutional approaches, that, that's what we hoped would be helpful um, to others. But, you're, but you're, you make an interesting, you raise an interesting question, and I would, I would answer it just in this manner. California, as a place, has been a beacon for over, well over 100, 150 years in the United States. People have been attracted to this state going back to the gold rush. And it, it, certain types of people in particular migrated here from, from all over the world, but largely from the, the eastern seaboard, uh, and, and came here and became leaders. Uh, the people we profile in the book, I think only one was born in California. That's Fran Papley, I believe, who is a great, great, great granddaughter of William, Gen William Jennings Bryan, who ran for president of the United States several times. Um, but she's the only one. I think everyone else was born outside of California. So the, ma the, the magnetic attractiveness of California to creative people and so forth, uh, I think, continues. Now, neither Diane nor myself was born in California. I was born in New York, I am born in Illinois. So you kind of make the case that California is unique right now, right? Well, I think there's some truth to that, although I do think uh, uh, on, on the West Coast here that the state of Washington probably has many of the same characteristics, and certainly it's distinguished itself today with the Bill Gates and the Jeff Bezos and all that as a real intellectual center uh, in the United States as well as California. But I do think that there are certain qualities that make California unique. But then there are all the other institutional things that can be done. Diane has mentioned uh, 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 several of them, uh, the, the making sure that uh, 
career government people are, have job protection so they can do unfettered and not worried that someone's going to fire them the next day when there's a change in administration. The, the fact that we have, and we started this in 1868, the, building the best public university system in the world, I think, certainly in the United States, the University of California system, and then coupled that with this company state university system. The, the fact that, that, that uh, due to Providence in part, so many of the national labs in the United States, Lawrence, uh, uh, Berkeley, and, and JPL right here uh, in Pasadena and La Cunana, um, they're, they're located here, and they've, they've done tremendous work in, in climate now, but uh, on many other resource matters over time. These, that, uh, we have a big bench of very qualified, I think, people. Well, maybe this, this sort of jogs my thinking on it a little bit. Maybe other states don't need to replicate our regulatory agencies and our institutions um, and our mindset. Um, maybe they just need to piggyback on our proven success. Well, I think we're, we're, we're proved, we've proved that you can have a healthy environment and a healthy right. environment. But you know what? Other states don't like to be told that or, that, or that, that be suggested to them or emulate California. Many of them have negative feelings toward California in part and resentments and all kinds of other reasons. But, you know, within the United States, there's a I mean, the, we are the United States of America. There are 50 states. And, and they, they differ significantly. And the ethos and, and belief system and all in some of those states is radically different than California. And they don't prize the same things. Uh, I mean, let's just take as an, I don't want to single out any one particular place, but I will just for a moment say let's take Oklahoma, whose uh, former Attorney General is now uh, the head of the Environment Federal Environmental Protection Agency. Uh, they have shown uh, a, in my opinion, disregard for some of the fundamentals of climate change and and, and nature that you don't find elsewhere. And, and Texas may be an, another example of that. Oh, I think they're strong mightily to compete with California and even more and to some degree in the environmental area now very little but it's it's seeping in so there, there is a difference we have the greatest uh, uh, kinship we have as a state is right here on what's been called uh, sometimes mockingly the left coast if you look at the United States map there's the left and right coast uh, California Oregon and Washington uh, and British Columbia and in, 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 and province of Canada, but also the New England states, all the New England states, and, and including New York now, which New York has become a, a, a very active leader in a lot of energy areas today. That wasn't the case 10 years ago, or even five years ago. As you know, they're doing a lot of dramatic things, and, and uh, if we're not careful, they can surpass California in application of some of these, along with Massachusetts. So yeah. it's, it's, a we, it's a dynamic situation in the United States, to, to be very frank. And you're optimistic. Well, <laughs> optimistic about what? I mean, I don't think that California exceptionalism, as they call it, can't be replicated in other states. I think um, a lot of people love where they live and want to make the air and the water as as good as they can, and and are looking for ways to do that. And I think California is generous in sharing its kind of piloting of these things. So to your point, Ted, where the people piggyback, that's right, they do. They don't maybe need as many people to figure out the policies to implement them if they once they agree with them. Um, and bipartisanship is stronger and weaker variously throughout the country, which is another big issue. 
But I think one of the points Mike made, which I do agree with, is it comes back to the people. We hadn't really realized before we wrote the book that sort of the citizens' initiative, and I don't mean just the initiative process, but their attitude and saying, we want it all, and we believe you can have economic prosperity along with environmental um, leadership, that that combination of attitudes really uh, has helped this state, and I think those two qualities can be combined other places, other peoples too. Mm-hmm. You know, perhaps the biggest and most significant entity to emulate many of the things California has done, uh, and it's in the throes of doing it right now, is China. It's rather remarkable. I mean, they, they are determined to be, and will be, the world's biggest market for electric vehicles in a very short time. They already are. They're already the world's biggest market for cars. You know, at one point, when you think about it for a minute, 1.4 billion people living in China, 40 million people living in California, many of the things we've done here have been replicated now in China. Electric vehicle commitment is one of them. The solar development of the solar industry and wind is our, our, our others. And what they have done even, I think most remarkably, is basically they have adopted now the concept of a cap-and-trade program to reduce greenhouse gases. And this is a huge, huge nation. Now they continue to do other things that are not uh, positive for the environment. They're still building coal plants that are reduced rate compared to what they were doing in the past. But that is a, a validation. And of course, their their, their president, uh, Xi, you know, went to Davos a year ago and talked about the need for world leadership on climate and, and so forth. And uh, I think it's a, it's a rather dramatic thing. And I, I, I'm hopeful that our state, in working with the Chinese and others, will be able to uh, promote more policies uh, than uh, would be the case otherwise, because we're certainly not getting that kind of support in Washington, D.C. And, and that's fantastic. Do you think that um, China is, is particularly looking at California? Um, and, and as opposed to the United States in, in general? Oh, I do. I definitely California. do. I, we've, for many years, the environmental organizations have sent experts to China at kind of China's request to model the laws in ways that are, you know, Chinese-specific, so that they were really ready to make this step forward. And, and uh, California's often been sort of on the edge like that, that cutting edge, but also generous in, in wanting to share and not caring if it's ad- adapted um, where it makes more sense for some other venue. And also in China, I think you have the people saying, we see this as a right, clean air, uh, a climate that isn't going to burn us up, uh, that we have that right. And so let's let's fix that as well as move the economy forward. And, and China, reinforcing your point, exactly. I mean, China has the worst smog in the, in, mm-hmm. in the world. Mm-hmm. And Beijing on a, on a bad day is... Uh, and people complain about it. Is really bad. I've witnessed it myself. It's yeah. awful. It's terrible. What, what's, what's, what's next in California uh, in terms of leadership? What, what steps are we as a state? What do we need to prove to... 
other states and to the rest of the world next. Well, I'm not sure we uh, it's uh, put it quite as what we have, we need to prove, but I think that you will see a further uh, augmentation of the kind of policies that California has set in the last few years. Uh, although we're you know we have a very we have a significant election this fall. There'll be uh, the current governor who's been a crusader. Jerry Brown, as was his predecessor, Schwarzenegger, crusader for environmental enhancement, environmental improvements, uh, dealing with climate uh, change and the damage from climate change, uh, all those things. He's, he he is, uh, uh, turns 80 next month, April, uh, or in two months, and he uh, will ret retire, he says, to his ranch or farm of 2,700 acres up in Calusa County in Northern California. I can't believe that this will actually happen, but he will retire. He'll be out of public, and he will not be an elected official, and, and uh, it's, uh, his successors uh, will not have, at least initially, the gravitas that he's had in, in this role. And, and we can only hope that they, they, they will become more engaged. And we don't know, I, mean, I can't tell you who's, who his successor is going to be. I have guess, I mean, good guess, but I, I, I don't know, really. Nor does anybody in this room know. But we have to, we have to continue those policies. And uh, it, it's true, it's not just uh, the governor, it's also these regulatory bodies like the Public Utilities Commission, most importantly the California Air Resources Board, the California Energy Commission. The, the sustainability of so much is dependent upon high quality appointments of these agencies and commitments of those agencies to a sustainable further future, more renewable energy, uh, what Diane's already indicated, in electric vehicles, uh, and expansion, further cap and trade programs, all these kind of to reduce pollution and uh, uh, greenhouse gases. All these things will continue uh, in a, uh, energy efficiency uh, programs, will all continue. Uh, but uh, the intensity and commitment, I hope, will be duplicated in the future, the, the, the kind of intensity and commitment that, that Brown and his predecessor Schwarzenegger brought to these issues. Right, and that, that, kind, of, that kind of follows on, um, California's a world leader in climate protection. Um, how can listeners of this podcast support that? I mean, one, one way would be to be politically active. Right, to get into these midterm elections and make sure that the right the right people are, are elected. But but what else can listeners well, I think do? Pro I think promulgating this sort of attitude toward leadership uh, to the next generation. I think it's very important that this is one of the um, serious issues. The next generation, it's their problem, not not ours so much anymore, and they have to take it on. And in terms of cutting edge. We started talking about mitigation of greenhouse gases early on. How do you emit fewer of them? And then adaptation. Well, when you can't stop emitting them, you have to adapt your world to more greenhouse gases. And then it's kind of hit us over the head in many ways. We also have to address resilience, meaning the forest fires, the mudslides, the, um, the physical impacts uh, to the land, and California's really been trying to think that through, and that's what I see as one of the cutting edges. And lots of people have lots of ideas that they need to share and implement. Yeah, fantastic. I've been I've been impressed that cities that we work with now are are, are um, 
hiring chief resiliency officers mm-hmm. yeah. is a whole new, a whole new discipline. Mm-hmm. But I think that's exactly right. Is that we need to continue to prepare for what we have created and become more resilient. And, and uh, as we as we try to limit the ill effects. And there's a lot going on here in Los Angeles and Southern California in particular, but all over the state. And, and uh, we, we have to be mindful that we, that we really, in some ways, we've already um, created this huge problem for us. And it's going to last for some time. And it is manifest in rising sea levels. And there's no question that, well, you can't put, say that a particular fire or mudslide or something is caused by climate change. Overall, the environment is changing and it is less certain what we know about it than we did in the past, less predictable than in the past. But the, but what predictions we can make are, are that it's, going to, it's a more difficult uh, uh, environment for, for people than it was in the past. There's just no question about it. And we have to accept that and, and deal with it. The Dutch have been building up their their uh, dikes. protections, dikes and all, because they, they they see sea level rise as a real threat. Because that, that country, you know, is, you know, would be underwater, much of it if it wasn't for all those dikes. But the point, the point is that we have to be much more sensible and, and much more creative. And I, I, my biggest fear is that this state has done some very good things and will continue to do so. Just think alone at the challenge of, of uh, if we don't have the kind of snowpack that we've had in the past, one third to one quarter of our electricity and energy comes from that storing all that uh, snow on mountaintops in, the, in northern and central California that, that's going to, going to go away. But my biggest concern, frankly, is for the nation and at the national level, I don't see the interest at all in any of this in the current administration in Washington, D.C., and I think that's tragic because we are losing time that cannot be made up in many respects. Right. And uh, to end on a positive note, all the more reason for your book, the lessons from your book to be emulated for the public to, in California, if nowhere else, to, to step up and to be the leader in efficiency and electric vehicles and smart energy management and resiliency. Well, Ted, our, our mission continues. Our mission continues. And Ted, let's, let's say the world has now got it too. And the conference is in Paris and Governor Brown is having an energy conference and a sustainability conference uh, later this year here in California this fall. The, much of the world gets it. I just hope our national leaders would stay a little more attuned to the French and to, to the Chinese, as well as, as those of us in California that are, care so deeply about this. Yeah. Agreed. You want to end on a, on a final comment? Well, just that I, I want to be positive, and we have to solve this problem. It's not really a question, and we hope that the history of how California moved it forward is useful to others thinking all around the world and you know, sort of adds to the serious thinking and body of knowledge to, to address greenhouse gases. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you for that, I'm, and uh, that's very much my mantra in life. I'm, I'm definitely on the positive side and, and looking at solutions. And, and um, again, that's why I found this book, California Goes Green, to be so inspiring, uh, to, see what, to see what has been put together. You document it so well. It is inspiring for people. It, it gives uh, 
great hope, I think, as we move forward. So thank you very much for writing the book, and thank you very much for your time this morning with this podcast. I appreciate it very much. And anybody that's interested in the book, it's available on Amazon and, and Kindle. And, and so there's, you can get it in the hard, hard version or soft version. <laughs> And you can buy, buy multiple copies, like me. And give it to all your, you give it to all your friends. <laughs> <laughs> Which works all the way around. Okay, thank you very much.